you have your Bible this morning, turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read to you verses 2 and 3 this morning. It says, And an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. Now, you may be wondering why I had you turn to 1 Timothy 3, and I only read those two verses. Because if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, the whole chapter, especially the opening first six or seven verses, you know that this particular section of Scripture is explicitly about pastors. It's about leaders. But what I want us to see as we think about this passage, is that in these two verses that I just read to you, they apply to all of us. Yes, if you were sitting there thinking, isn't this passage about pastors? And I would answer, yes, it is. And you would probably say, well, aren't pastors supposed to be men only? And the answer would be, yes, it is supposed to be men only. But I want you to also see that these characteristics of the man that is to be a pastor or leader in the church are not just for a pastor. They really are for all Christians, men and women. And so I think it would be important for us to take some time and to look at these two verses together to see the kind of person that God wants us all to be. For us all to be striving to be by God's grace. As I said to you last Sunday morning, my primary focus here would be on the character qualities that apply to all of us. Because when you look at the whole passage together, you will see that there are really two areas that make the difference here between the average person in the church or the average, even the man in the church and a man that would be a pastor in the church and a man that would not be a pastor in the church. And those two areas are this, the calling of that man to be the pastor. You see that in verse 1 where it says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. There it is, if the man is being called by God to be a pastor in the local church. But not only that, when you get down to verse 2, there is an aspect there of the very last character quality that is mentioned where he says he has to be able to teach. And thus not every man has the desire or the calling in his heart to be a pastor. And not every man is gifted by God to be a preacher or teacher of the word of God. And that really are the two differences between a man that would be a pastor in a church and a man that would not be a pastor in the church. Then that are, they are God-given, a God-given calling and the God-given capability to teach and to preach the Word of God. But verses 2 and 3 that I read a moment ago, 
These are things that we all, not just men, but women, all Christians should desire to be and have the ability to be by God's grace, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. So these are things we should all strive for. And what I want to do beginning this morning is begin to take these characteristics really of a godly person and hold them up for us to look at. Really hold them up as a mirror to look at our own life and to see how it is that we're doing. And then as we look into the mirror of God's Word, that when God's Word exposes some things possibly about us, that we respond in obedience, that is, with a desire and with decisions to make the necessary changes that God's Word would call on us to make and to do those by God's grace, by God's Spirit, and by God's people. Now, as you go back to verse 2, there is an overarching quality that applies to all of us in regards to our life that we're striving to be. It says it there in verse 2 that an overseer then must be above reproach. You see, when it comes to the leadership in a church, the man must, it is divine necessity, he must be. But what he must be is something that we should all want to be and all strive to be. And when he says there that he must be, he's saying this is what you are. This is what you are known for. This is what you want to continue to be and to be known for by others inside the church and outside of the church. And that is known as someone who is above reproach. To be above reproach is to be someone who is free from any blight or disgrace on your character or on your conduct. And let me just show you something this morning. That this is a calling that is for all of us. It's not just for the pastors, not just for the leaders of the church, but this is something for all of God's people that we want to be above reproach. If you stay in here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, you look over in verse 10, and you will see that this same idea is presented about deacons as well where it says these men talking about deacons must also first be tested and let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach but not only that stay in first timothy go over to chapter five for a moment and you will see that this applies to women in the church as well where it says there in verse 14, Therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy, notice, no occasion for reproach. Keep her life above reproach. You could also, if you would, turn over for just a moment. Go over to the book of Titus for just a moment. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, he's speaking here about young men in the church, not just the pastors or the leaders in the church, just the young men in the church. It says in verse 6, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. 
so that the opponent will be put to shame, have nothing bad to say about us. And just to cover everyone, if you will, go back to a book that you ought to be familiar with. Go back to the book of Philippians for just a moment and go back to Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is being addressed to the entire congregation. And in Philippians 2, in verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves, and here's the same word, to be blameless, above reproach, and innocent. Children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You see, we're all called to be as children of God above reproach. That is, someone who is free from any disgrace that could be leveled against us in our character and in our conduct. We want to be someone who lives our life in such a way that others don't have anything bad that they can say about us that is true. And let me just clarify that. Something that is true. Because look, beloved, people can level accusations against believers. Jesus himself, if you recall, was accused of being a drunkard when he was not a drunkard. Paul was accused of things that he was not guilty of. But this is the desire of our hearts. And I want you to see that this applies for all of us, that we, in these particular areas that we're going to be looking at in 1 Timothy 3, that what you're striving to be is above reproach. Now let's go back and let's look in 1 Timothy 3. And let's look at the very first character quality that we want to be above reproach in. And that is, he says there, must be above reproach in the husband of one wife. What is Paul talking about here? What is God's word challenging us to think about when he says we want to be above reproach as the husband of one wife? We hear, beloved, he's speaking particularly about our moral purity. Please understand, this is not really about the marital status of this man or the marital status of a woman. In fact, just again, let you see that this is something that doesn't just apply for men, but it applies for women as well. Turn over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and look down at verse 9 where it's talking about a widow where they would put these widows, particular widows, on a list. And it says in verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been, noticed the wife of one man. It's just the opposite of what we read over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that man is supposed to be a one-woman man. In 1 Timothy 5, where he's talking about the widows and the women, he says they're supposed to be a one-man woman. He's talking about purity. He's talking about purity when it comes to your, your, your life morally. A devotion to your spouse. 
Or maybe a devotion to your future spouse. If you are a single man or a single woman that God has gifted you to be married and maybe that's in your cards one day as God is going to bring that to you and for you. But he says here we're to be a one man woman or a one woman man. Moral, sexual purity in our life. As Paul teaches over in Ephesians 5, in verse 3, he says, But immorality or even impurity, any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Brother, we want to be known as a person who is singularly devoted to moral purity even as a single man or a single woman. And by moral purity as a single man and as a single woman, please understand, that's not just saying that you're just going to save yourself for whenever you get married. That is a part of it. But it's more than that when he's talking about being a one-woman man or a one-man woman. He's talking about you are singularly committed to that particular relationship when it may happen. And as a married man or a married woman, to be a one-woman man and a one-man woman, it means your eyes are only for your spouse. It means that your intimate emotions that you would engage in someone with in a relationship is for your spouse and really your spouse only. I do not need to especially have a woman as one of my dearest and bestest friends that I as a man go and share my heart and emotions with her. That is reserved for my wife. That's who I share that with. And that is applies to all of us. And yes, beloved, it's your eyes, your emotions, and obviously your body. Your body is only for your spouse. As 1 Corinthians 7, there Paul even tells us, your body is not even your own. Your body is your spouse's. Now again, beloved, one cannot necessarily prevent any and all false accusations that could be leveled at someone, even in this area. I'm reminded in the Old Testament, do you remember Joseph? Joseph with a wife, Potiphar's wife. Joseph had been a faithful man. Joseph, in that sense, was honoring of the Lord. Potiphar's wife was after Joseph. She was not acting as she should have been as a one-man woman or one-woman man between Joseph and her. And Joseph ran away from her to get out of that. But yet she falsely accused Joseph of coming after her in a sexual manner when it never happened. And he suffered the consequences for that. Maybe what Joseph should have tried to do is what we've heard about here over the last year or two with our vice president, Mike Pence. You remember the the media made this big to-do because he had this rule that he lives by. That if there's going to be even another woman he's going to meet with, he's going to have someone else there. And Joseph, if he could have been able to assure that would happen, could have been prevented from 
the consequences that he faced. Beloved, this is why even when accusations are made, the Bible gives very clear instructions. You can go over in 1 Timothy in chapter 5. There is talking about elders or pastors in the church, but this would apply for anyone in this sense. What it says there in verse 19 of chapter 5, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. That's established in the Old Testament. It's picked up by Jesus in the New Testament. Where basically you're saying if someone's going to level an accusation, especially in this area, there better be someone who's able to substantiate that accusation. It is very important, very important that we understand how serious this area of our life is. Let me just remind you of even the harm that can come to you, to your spouse, to your family. Turn with me for just a moment. Go back in the Old Testament now. Go to the book of Proverbs. And go to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Let me just read this chapter to you. It says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength. And your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. You groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof? I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost an utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe and let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. You see, this is the one woman man. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Look over in Proverbs chapter 7. Let me just read a portion of this to you. Apparently, they thought this was important to teach his son. 
My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, alice, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly, he follows her. And as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, and as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Beloved, it is very critical we understand how important this is. In fact, it's so important that we're taught over in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, where there Paul is speaking about in verse 19 to 21, the deeds of the flesh. And the first deeds of the flesh that he mentions are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And he says, those who practice such things, I'm warning you, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. He gave that same warning over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11. Where he says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he mentions fornicators, adulterers, the effeminate, the homosexuals. But the good news here, when you read there in 1 Corinthians 6, in verses 9 through 11, is he says, such were some of you. That is, they had been genuinely saved and born again. And that is the good news of the gospel for anyone and everyone that is here today. That you can be forgiven of your sin. And even if you have lived a life of fornication, even if you've lived a life of sexual immorality, beloved, if you will humble yourself and come to Christ and confess your sins and confess the sinfulness of your life and ask for forgiveness and seek Him to save you and to change you and turn and surrender to the Lordship of Christ, Jesus Christ will save you. He will forgive you. I know that because I read in the Gospels there was a lady that was referred to as a sinner, which means she was an immoral woman. And in Luke chapter 7, she comes to Jesus, and Jesus is there dining at a table at the Pharisee's house, 
and she comes and she's weeping and her tears are falling on his feet and she pours out this perfume and she's wiping his feet with her hair and she's cleansing his feet that is there and Jesus turns to her and tells her, your sins have been forgiven. No matter all the, the immoral life she had lived, when she came to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, He forgave her. And below we see Jesus throughout the Gospels offering sinners, the immoral of the society, offering them forgiveness, offering them eternal life, offering them the kingdom. If they would repent and come to him. Beloved, even we as believers can fall in this area in our life. All you have to do is go back and read in the Old Testament of a man that the Bible describes as someone, it says, this is a man who was after God's own heart. David. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And essentially you can go back and read through that account in 2 Samuel in chapter 11. And you'll see that David disobeyed what we just clearly read there in Proverbs 5 and in Proverbs 7. David was somewhere he shouldn't have been. David, it says at that time, this was the time of year when he should have been out with his men. But David was there at home. And David put himself in a position he shouldn't have put himself in. He starts walking around, and I think by the implications of the text, David, this wasn't the first time he saw Bathsheba. He kept going out there and looking at Bathsheba night after night, time after time, until eventually he calls for her to be brought to him. Now he's a king, he could do that. And he has relations with her, he commits adultery with her, and then David then starts trying to cover it up. This is a man, a true believer, a man after God's own heart, but he fell prey. Beloved, may I say to you, if you fall prey, even as a believer, you need to confess your sin. You need to seek the forgiveness of God and, and of anyone that you have sinned against in doing this. You need to forsake it. Ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you. David sought the Lord for the forgiveness of his sin. We can read about it in Psalm 51. This is where David's been confronted by Nathan the prophet about his sin and the sin he has committed. And David is agonizing over his sin and he's confessing his sin before God, knowing that God is able and willing to forgive him of his sins. But now, as we think about being a one woman man and a one man woman. Let me just give you some things for you to do that can help prevent you from personally falling even as David did. Let me give you several things that you need to do. 
And these are very straightforward. And really, they're, they're common sense, coming straight out of Scripture. But if we practice these things, beloved, they will help keep you from falling in this area. One, saturate your mind with the Word of God. You must saturate your mind with the Word of God. I'm reminded of what the psalmist says over in Psalm 119. In verse 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? He says, By keeping it according to your word. He follows that up in verse 11 and says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. He knows his heart can have a tendency to want to wander away from God. And so he's saying, Lord, I intentionally hide your word. I treasure your word. I saturate my mind, my heart with your word because I don't want to sin against you because I know the only way I can keep myself pure is if I'm doing it according to your word. You must be in the word of God, saturating your mind with the word of God. Secondly, you must set your mind on heavenly things. You must set your mind on the things above. Over in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, in the opening verses, listen to what Paul says there. Because he ties it in with this idea of immorality. In Colossians chapter 3 says, Therefore, in verse 1, If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you shall also be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, that is therefore, because of your life being hidden with Christ. And because you're supposed to be seeking things above. Because you're supposed to be setting your mind on the things above. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. Think, set your mind on the things of God. Continually do that. Saturating your mind with the Word, setting your mind on the things of God. This is what will help prevent you from falling into immorality or impurity and these evil desires and these passions. Thirdly, stay away. Stay away from things Stay away from situations that will tempt you. Stay away from them. As I said, that was part of David's problem. That's the problem you see there in Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7 with that young man. He's walking in areas he shouldn't have been walking in. Stay away from them. As we're told even over in the New Testament, flee. We're supposed to be fleeing for immorality. We're not supposed to be trying to see how close can I get to it without falling. 
It's kind of like sometimes young people would ask, well, you know, when you're dating or with someone, like, what can you do? What can you not do? Instead of saying, look, I want to flee as far away from immorality as I can. Stay away from those things. Stay away from those situations that will tempt you in that way. Next, sever. Sever anything in your life that is causing or may cause you to stumble. Sever anything in your life that may or is causing you to stumble in this area. Say, so where do you get that from? I get it from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, it is there Jesus says, you say you shall not commit adultery, which Jesus agrees with that. But remember, Jesus goes on further than that. He says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart towards her, you've already committed adultery. But he didn't stop there. After that, he says, so if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it far away from you. And if your hand, your right hand, causes you to stumble, he says, cut it off and throw it as far away from you as you can. Now, obviously, Jesus there is speaking metaphorically. He's not actually telling us to literally gouge our eyes out or cut off our right hand or our left hand or whatever hand we may be dominant in that we would use to do something with. He's just saying this, treat this sin with severity. Sever anything in your life that may or is causing you to stumble. And beloved, in the day and time in which we live, This area of our life of sexual temptation, of not being pure in this area when it comes to our eyes and our heart and our emotions is very, very challenging. It may mean for some of you to sever anything that causes you to stumble. It may mean, you know what? I have got to cut off my cable. I have got to cut off my satellite. I've just got to cut it off. I've got to do away with my computer. I just can't have this in the house. Do you remember several years ago the, the movie Fireproof? You remember the, the main character there, Kirk Cameron, one of the struggles he had was with pornography and what he ultimately did whenever he said, I've got basically to defeat this. He took a baseball bat and he just crushed his computer and he comes and he dumps it out for the garbage. He was severing himself from something that was causing him to stumble. You may have to give up a smartphone and get a dumb phone. So you don't have access to things that you don't need access to because you just seem to keep being pulled back into it. You may have to remove yourself from certain friends. All because you want to make sure that you are above reproach in this area. Let me share a couple other things with you that you need to do. 
And this next one is very important, and it's oftentimes missing. But I want you to turn with me for just a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And read verse 22. It says, Now flee from youthful lust. But it doesn't stop there. And it says, And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here's my point. You must also seek accountability with others in the church. You see, it's not enough for us just to flee immorality on our own. He goes on to say, in completing this process, yes, flee from any youthful lust, but then there's something you're supposed to be doing that is pursuing. Pursuing righteousness, but not by yourself. You pursue righteousness with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We must be seeking accountability with others in the body of Christ. And guess what? The body of Christ must hold others accountable. We need others in the church. This was a problem. We've read about it on different occasions, but we we see this is a problem that was going on in the church at Corinth. And there the church was not holding accountable a man that was living in sexual immorality. And Paul was telling them, you must hold him accountable. Out of love for this man. You must love this man to hold him accountable. We must seek accountability with others in the body of Christ. And then finally I would say this. Seek to show yourself an example to others. You want to be someone that is an example for others. I find this over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 where he says to Timothy, he's a young man, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. That should be something you're striving for. I, want, I am seeking to show myself as an example in this area. It doesn't matter the age of the person. I want to show myself to be an example of all the others who believe that they can look at my life and say, I can follow him, I can follow her. And you could say, follow me. When it comes to purity, follow me. Because if you're following me, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find I'm saturating my mind with the Word of God. I'm setting my mind on the things above. I am severing anything in my life that causes me to sin. I'm seeking accountability amongst others in the body of Christ. I'm staying away from those situations that tempt me. I'm doing all these things, so just come follow me. Because I am seeking to show myself as an example for others. Purity. 
And that is something we should all strive for and strive to do and strive to be. Purity, an example for others to follow. Beloved, this is an area that oftentimes is not discussed as much in the body of Christ, but is an area that probably can cause more, even believers in the body of Christ, the greatest struggles. And I just want to encourage you today to know that if you get caught up in this, that again, there is forgiveness. You confess it before the Lord. And you begin to put in place these things that I'm talking about. And pray and ask God to work in your heart and help you to overcome this sin. And that you ask God, Lord, I want to be above reproach. If you're a man in this church, you may say, look, Lord, I know. I know I am not called to be a pastor. That that is not the desire of my heart. But Lord, I know I'm supposed to be above reproach. I'm supposed to be above reproach when it comes to being a a one-woman man. So Lord, help me to be that by Your grace, by Your Spirit, by Your Word, and even by Your people being involved in my life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment.